What is going on everybody? It is Jason Jaybird Goldstein here for another episode of The Bird's Eye View and the New York Yankees are back. That's right everybody. After 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 mostly a season of me just complaining about these Yankees, getting upset about the Yankees and their performance this season, the team bounces back in a big big way this weekend, the first weekend since the trade deadline where both Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo made their Yankee debuts and you can just tell the impact these guys had on the team. Um, keep in mind, we were without DJ and Gio this series. Gio had some sort of like hamstring injury. He was able to just deliver a couple pinch hits. Uh, DJ, something with his tricep. He played some of today and he played some of Friday's game. Uh, but for the most part, he didn't play. He, they said he should be back in the starting lineup tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Gio, who knows when he's going to be back. Luke Voigt uh, did not get traded from the Yankees. That's some really exciting news. Voigt's going to stay. Uh, he's supposed to be starting a rehab assignment Tuesday. And, in my opinion... There's no reason that that first weekend, whenever Voigt's back, let's say he's back in the Seattle series. Okay, I'm not asking Stanton to play outfield every day in this series or even every day right now. But during that Seattle series, there's no reason we should not have a lineup of Gary, Rizzo, Voigt at DH, DJ, Glaber, Gio, Judge, Gallon, Stanton in the outfield. There's just no reason. Stanton finally played the outfield. He looked comfortable doing so. Uh... He did this Friday and Saturday, had the day off today, and overall, Stanton just, it was disappointing. I really wanted to see Stanton hit a bomb in that stadium like he used to back in the day, but he uh, he didn't. And also, I want to see Stanton play today, like, some more. I want to see him back in the outfield, uh, especially him back in Miami, the place where he started his career, made a name for himself. And I want to see him maybe at least try to hit some nukes, but... Did come up with a big, big-ish pinch hit today. Should have been grounding into a double play, but he it was an error by the by the Marlins, who apparently are the one defense in the MLB that's worse than the Yankees' defense for most of the year. Allows to and eventually we score an unearned run off an Anthony Rizzo single because Rizzo's just been so damn good. Oh my goodness. And then after that, uh, Aaron Judge, he comes up with a big single, drives in Stanton, who pinched, who eventually pinch hit in this game. And then the Yankees end up taking a 2-1 to lead, scoring another unearned run in the in the top of the ninth inning, a 3-1 to lead. And it was honest, and it was Chapman's best appearance that he's had since going through his whole slump. It, one inning pitched. Two strikeouts. The second consecutive appearance now where, Stan has, where Chapman has not allowed a run. He's now allowed he's now allowed scoreless appearance in nine of his last ten. And although there's been some struggles here and there with how he's looked in those appearances, for the most part, Chapman appears to have finally figured it out. And that's big for us because having Chapman figure it out and be the Chapman he was beginning of the season makes this team that much better. It means that this team... When it goes that when it comes down to it, and they're up th- and they're up two runs 
Elite, Elite would feel insurmountable with how good Chapman looked early on this season. And just, what a weekend overall. Rizzo, incredible. He reached base eight times in his first nine at-bats. Home runs, bat-to-bat games. Both of them pimp shots. You know, I'm, uh, I'm yesterday, I met my grandma's. My grandma's moving this week. Uh, so I'm spending time with her. You know, she's the greatest of all time. Uh, so this will be the last recording episode at my grandma's. And uh, eventually, my, my sister and I go to get ice cream. I listen to the game on the radio, and then I'm streaming the game while online. Hear this guy talking to his girlfriend, overheard him saying, Yankees just got this guy. You know, he was on the Cubs, and he was one of the leaders of this Cubs team. Helped, talked about how Rizzo brought the Cubs back. Uh, was the first guy of their young core that helped him win the World Series to really play. And then that he's a Yankee, and it just seems like he was meant to wear the pinstripes. Yeah, he, he hasn't even wore the pinstripes yet. He wore the road grays, but he just seemed like he was born to be a Yankee. Just really happy to be here. A high energy guy, a good leader, just a really nice, good person. Anthony Rizzo. I mean, I want to extend him already at this point. Great eyes already. He's been walked a ton in his first two games, and then the two home runs. Uh, bat- batting leadoff today, which it was nice to see a great leadoff hitter like Anthony Rizzo leading off for this team. Uh, he was going to, of course, comes up with that tying single today. And my goodness, do I love Anthony Rizzo so much. Now, again, that doesn't solve uh, everything with the Yankees' offense, it seemed like. And granted, we were we had two of... We, we had Tyler Wade and a pitcher in, and then today we have Brett Gardner in, so that's 7-8 and 9 are virtually ineffective. And the Yankees got shut down today for the most part until that 8th inning, and granted they're going against Sandy Alcantara, who's one of those one of the better young arms in the game right now. Uh, he's actually part of that Marlins rotation. I'm going to touch on them a little bit at the end of this. Uh, that's just really, really elite right now. And yeah, like I, I was, I thought the Yankees were gonna avoid him and Trevor Rogers this series. Turns out we got both of them back to back, and obviously Alcantara shuts us down today. The bullpen blows it with not even the bullpen's fault, but a big fault of their guys on defense. Still, they they only mustered six hits. Uh, they didn't really leave many guys on base. It wasn't one of those. They just were not getting on base. Five overall, which isn't too bad. Yesterday's game sort of felt like more of the same. Felt like they kind of were leaving guys on base. Yep, they left the total of 10 men on base. Uh, Herman was... It was sort of like the Marlins were doing the same thing too, though. Herman just did not have his best stuff. Allowed two runs over four innings, but... Uh, the Marlins stranded a few. They could have scored more. And then from there, the bullpen just... Licky gave us two innings of one-hit baseball. Uh... Holmes, that new kid we just got, had an appearance today and an appearance yesterday. And both those appearances, he well, today he went, he went nearly two innings. Yeah, he gave up a hit, but it was almost it was an inning and two-thirds without getting up a hit. He had a hitless inning yesterday, so Holmes gave us some good relief out of the pen as well. And then we went green, and Lewisica got the save, actually. Rather than going the Chapman in the pen for the ninth, they chose to rest Chapman. And Chad Green had a fantastic 1-2-3 one, one, inning as well on just 12 pitches. It was a great day for the pen yesterday, coming up big. Especially when Herman couldn't go the distance for us. Uh, Friday was... I, I didn't get to watch much of this game on Friday. And again, you know, the offense was not too great. 
They only mustered, uh, let's see, 10 runs across the three games, but they held the Marlins to just four runs in the three games, and it was great pitching. The bullpen really seemed to have it figured out this series. Uh, the rotation was great. I mean, Tyone, five and two-thirds, five strikeouts, five hits, just two walks. Then Loisica and Chapman just both had fantastic innings. Britain gave up the only run of the game. Struggled a little bit, but again, he's seems like he's still easing his way back in, Zach Britton. But man, just this this whole trade seemed to really revitalize this team. It was definitely weird seeing Glaber batting batting lead off those first couple games, especially leadoff Glaber did not seem to work out. He was 0 for 9 in those first two games, and until his last at bat was at one point 0 of 12 in the series, uh, without any without getting on base at all. Uh, DJ, he he had, or DJ, you know, never mind, that's, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong box score. DJ eventually pinch hit for him during game one, and DJ actually had a hit. Uh, Joey Gallo didn't get, only got uh, one hit. It was a nice double. I uh, got stranded on base this game, but he still walked, and he had a good eye. He worked some good at bats. I mean, you're going to get that with Joey Gallo, remember, the low average. It's not like we were hitting nukes in Miami outside of Anthony Rizzo. Judge had the big RBI single today that gave us the Yankees the lead, part of his two-hit day after a rough 0-for-5 game yesterday, but he looked good. He looked solid, Judge, as he's made his way back from COVID and looks kind of fully recovered. Uh, Stan, I w- again, I wish I saw more out of Stanton this series, disappointing his first series back in Miami. He almost had the home run yesterday. It was ruled a double. They reviewed it. The CV was a home run. It wasn't uh, unjust. I mean, he did walk twice and he did score a run. Uh, it was so that that was nice. And overall, it was just it was just huge for the Yankees to get this sweep. I mean, I talked about it on the last episode. We only had four sweeps all season long, and that was a big issue for the Yankees not being able to sweep these teams or not being able to win these day games. But getting the sweep over the Miami Marlins was massive. And yet, it was just the Miami Marlins. But this team just had a different kind of confidence to them. Adding Rizzo and Gallo really seemed to rejuvenate the other guys in the lineup. Rizzo and Rizzo had an incredible pop this weekend. He's going to get a huge reception in the Bronx. And the schedule is lightening up. We now have the, a three-game set against the Orioles before a four-game set against the Mariners, which is going to be a huge series. But right now, things are looking up for the Yankees. They appear to be trending the right direction. And let's just keep... let's. Let's keep this weekend going because this was by far the best weekend the Yankees have had in a damn long time. Uh, and honestly, you could—if the best weekend probably would have been Houston, but that ended with that horrible, horrible loss at the end, and that kind of soured the weekend. And I'm just—I'm excited, man. The pitching has been fantastic. Tyona Montgomery both look like legitimate number two and legitimate number three starters on this team. The way they've pitched right now. I mean, Montgomery just goes out and shoves start after start after start. Yeah, he has the rough first innings every now and then, but he tends to go deep in games. And we just, we don't give him run support. It'd be nice if we can support Montgomery. And again today, didn't get the run support. I mean, Tyone had the lowest ERA of all the qualified pitchers in baseball during the month of, during the month of July. He looked incredibly locked in. And I, again, I got on Tyone a lot early in the year. Gary Gary Sanchez resurgence bandwagon who 
may or may not be coming on this episode. Uh, was even was always a defender at Tyone. Same people were too ju- quick to jump on him for a guy who had him pitch in pretty much two years. I was one of those guys. To appear to be wrong about JMO, he's been so goddamn lights out. Him and Montgomery during the month of July. I don't. This team is not where they're at right now, or even pushing for a play. Like this team would be a lot worse than where they are now without Jordan Jordan Montgomery and Jamison Tyone the way they've pitched this season. And just the pen looked at, looked fantastic this weekend. O- overall, it was a great weekend for the Yankees. Really excited to see what it's like back in the Bronx and against against that Orioles pitching. You know, it, I think the bats can really come alive. I want to see Rizzo and Gallo swing left-handed in the Bronx. Oh my goodness! And you got to give credit to the Marlins. I mean, the Yankees matchup against Sandy Alcantara and. Uh, Trevor Rogers, the favorite the National League Rookie of the Year. Both of them really good young pitchers. They added Jesus Lazardo from the Athletics in that trade for Starling Marte. They're going to have Sixto Sanchez, who was one of the best young pitchers in baseball in 2020, back to that rotation. You know, Zach Thompson has had a pretty damn good season. Pitched really well against the Yankees on Friday. Uh, that's a very, very good young core the Marlins have coming. and They're going to have one of baseball's Best young rotations in the coming seasons. I mean, they have they definitely have a bright future. Derek Jeter has collected a great ton of pitching prospects that I honestly think in a couple of years that the Marlins could have arguably the best rotation in baseball. They have so many good, talented, young, controllable guys. But in typical Marlins way, they'll probably find a way to muck it up as they always do. But yeah, Sandy Alcantara, I, I think I talked about this on the podcast that. There was a pipe dream. I would have loved to have maybe made a trade for Marte and Alcantara. Although Alcantara, I didn't see, I didn't see any any chance that Marlins would move him. And for once, yeah, it, he he has some bad luck, Alcantara. I mean, l- let me pull up this guy's numbers this season. And this is something I've been saying all year, looking at his stats. He has a three twelve ERA. Uh, he, he's six and nine. With a three twelve, with a three twelve ERA, and he has a hundred and twenty strikeouts. In how many innings pitched? All in one hundred thirty three innings pitched. So yeah, he has been, he has been something, sh- nothing short of special for the Miami Marlins. Uh, he, he had a, a little bit of a rough stretch uh, over these last three games previously, but this Marlins team, it, it's a bright. Bright team. Derek Jeter's really... He's done a good job as GM. You can give him all this shit for trading away Stanton, for trading away Real Muto, for trading away Ozuna, trading away Yelich. But the returns... The returns have paid dividends for sure. And look, man, I just... I'm excited. The season has not been fun. Obviously, I was really excited. I believe we were going to win the World Series coming into the year. I'm not going to say the World Series is back on. I want to see how they do against the Boston's, the Tampa Bay's. Uh, they're going to have that big, big series with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, that will be the Field of Dreams game. That's going to be, I believe, in two weeks. I'm really excited to watch that game. And yeah, man. Uh, you know, I love this team. I love the way they've been. They, I, I've, I've, I've hated the way they've been playing, but... I've never given up on this team. I haven't 
I've I've been nervous. I haven't yet. I've yet to write them off. I think I, this is now when the season is going to finally turn around. You know, the, the, there are the times where you know the, they've taken the one step forward, the two steps backwards, but it just feels like this one step forward was a legitimate step forward, and I'm excited. I'm really excited to see what goes on over the course over the rest of the season. Honestly, uh, by the way, for my that's about it for the Yankees. Uh, by the way, listeners, so I mentioned about my grandma's always spending quality time with family this week, quality time with my grandma before she moves, and I'm excited for that. Also, I'm graduating sort of this weekend, so Ohio State is holding a graduation ceremony for the class of 2020, people who graduated in both the fall and also who graduated in the summer like I did and never really got a graduation ceremony. I'm not necessarily going out there to go to the ceremony and stuff because I think it's kind of going to be um, a ceremony. We're not even going to get the walk. I'm going out to see my friends and I'm going to be. It's going to be a busy weekend. Probably won't be in di- digesting much sports that weekend. Going to be too busy partying, seeing my friends who I haven't seen since December. So for that reason, there's not going to be an episode coming out Friday. There's not going to be an episode coming out early next week. Although I want to try to have an episode out by. Wednesday or Thursday next week. And yeah, that's really about it. Uh, again, maybe Gary Sanchez Resurgence Bandwagon is coming on. But if not, then that's the episode. We, we have agreed for him to come on, but something always comes up between for one of us. So we shall see. Have him on. I've, I need to talk about the rest of the trade deadline. Because a lot, a lot of action went down Friday. And this was definitely one of the best trade deadlines, if not the best trade deadline in MLB history. Probably the best one that I've witnessed. Uh, you with the Cubs going full sell mode. First, they signaled it with Anthony Rizzo. But by the end of the day, everybody but Wilson Contreras was sent off. Chris Bryant was officially shipped off to San Francisco. He's now a member of the Giants. As I said, there was a chance he was going to go there. Uh, with Evan Longoria out, he'll fill in at third base, but he'll be able to play all over the outfield. And that's what the Giants... Ten to half, so they have all these guys who can play a hundred different positions. They're just, and he's gonna add stability to that lineup that's been so injured this season. But it doesn't matter because they've continued to win. Uh, they sell Javi Baez to the Mets. Javi Baez gets to come play with Francisco Lindor, whatever Lindor gets back, and be with the guy who, you know, he even said he would he would sign with the Mets in the offseason because he would love love to be with Lindor who. Has been one of his closest friends for a long, long time. They sell Craig Kimbrell to the Chicago White Sox, their crosstown rival, their second trade with their crosstown rival, and now you're lining up Craig Kimbrell and Liam Hendricks together in a bullpen. Are you serious? I mean, Liam Hendricks has been one of the best closers this year, top five closer in baseball this season. And now he's your eighth inning guy while Craig Kimbrell, arguably the best closer in baseball this season, is your now your closer. Are you kidding me? This makes the White Sox, who already had one of the best rotations with Lynn, Giolito, Keiko, although he struggled this year, Carlos Rodon, and now they add just two of the best now they have two of the best relievers in the game. I know people can say, oh, whatever about Tony LaRussa. And I thought Tony La Russa has been a little questionable, of a, was a little bit of a questionable manager hire. But at the end of the day, with all, you know, they had some of the distractions uh, with the Yerman Mercedes, Tony La Russa stuff. But in the end, 
Larusa still got the guys to buy in everything. Uh, now they're, they've just been playing incredibly well. He's managed that White Sox team incredibly well. And with the addition of Liam Hend- or, excuse me, the addition of Craig Kimbrell in that bullpen now, I honestly think the Chicago White Sox might be the favorite in the American League because that was just a phenomenal move for them. I know my boy Andrew Mendelson has to be very, very hyped about the White Sox and their their move that they made in this trade deadline. Uh, There's no one else really major they traded. You had Jose Barrios. That was another big trade. He goes to the Toronto Blue Jays, although for the Blue Jays gave up a haul to get him. One of the top prospects in baseball, Austin, Austin Martin. And then Simeon Woods Richard, who was another one of their top prospects. So two of their top-rated prospects for a year and a half of Jose Barrios. A big trade for the Blue Jays. Shows they're really committed to going all-in this year. And they get their probably, possibly their ace. Maybe their number two behind Hinjin Ryu. But it's now a legitimate force one-two. The Blue Jays needed an arm badly to go along with Hinjin. Uh, again, they added Graveman, but the Astros didn't add too much. They especially gave up Miles Strong, a bit of a weird trade, which I thought was an interesting move. Uh, the Athletics got Jan Gomes, buying more of the national scraps. Uh, obviously, you know, I talked about the Dodgers, the Padres I talked about. Uh, was there any major moves? Jay Happ got traded from the Twins to the Cardinals. The Cardinals decided to get Jay Happ, who's just awful. And I, I don't even think I talked about it. The Yankees traded Luis Sessa and Justin Wilson. Uh, that happened, yeah, it happened after the first Tampa game, first game of the Tampa series. And people were kind of wondering why it took them so long to announce a lineup or even announce a roster spot. So everyone thought a trade was coming. Trade happened after the game. And yeah, we get rid of Justin Wilson. But Sessa had been damn good this year, and I kind of am going to miss him. You know, seeing the moves we made now, I'm fine with getting rid of Sessa, but, like, I don't know. I, I, I like Luis Sessa. I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss him. Uh, other big moves. Yeah, th- that was really it for some of the bigger moves on the last day of the deadline. The Rockies front office continues to be incompetent, Don't not trading Trevor Story, which... Bad, bad move for them as they come back and bite him in the butt. Like, you know that's going to happen. So I recorded this before. I was recording right after the Yankees game Sunday. I was planning on releasing this episode Monday, but since uh, I'm going to be away, uh, just decided I'm going to release this episode Tuesday on time, whatever, and then just have one episode next week. However... Uh, you know, I said maybe Gary Sanchez would be on this episode. Sergio Spamman would be on this episode. He is not. I'm hoping to get an interview with him and then maybe air and maybe just release that as an episode on Friday. You know, when I'm not going to be here. Uh, but I'm I'm honestly glad I'm going to do it this way because that means I release them into the listeners on Friday for them to listen to. And uh, so yeah, some listeners will have something to listen to on Friday. Uh, even though I won't be able to record as long as I get this interview in, hopefully tonight or tomorrow night. Uh, and it allows me to, to yeah, if I was going to have him on, I was just going to have to do the Yankee sweep in the interview. I couldn't dive into other things. Now I'm allowed to dive into other things, including who is hot, who is not, an NBA free agency. But of course, then I have to dive in, but before that, I have to dive into Monday night's game. I mean... We just swept the Marlins. First game back in the Bronx with our new left-handed toys. The Yankees are hyped up. 
And then they're going up. And who's who's pitching? Jorge Lopez, three two and twelve with a six one nine ERA. And what does he do? Four innings of no hit baseball, holding the Yankees to just one hit. Uh, he walked a ton of guys, but again, the the inability to hit continued to plague this team as it has all year long. We go, he, this guy. Again, 6-1-9 ERA, 2-1-12, six innings, one hit, one run, and the one run came actually before we even got a hit because he was walking that many guys, and we just couldn't do anything about it. The first hit did not come until the sixth inning, so we were getting no hit through five innings despite scoring a run uh, because of sack flies. And that was just frustrating because we're a lot better than the, than this Orioles team, and we should have easily, easily beat them. I was excited for the lineup. We had Stanton in right field and Judge DH, which meant Stanton was going to continue to play the outfield. But and but he just continued to struggle with the plate, some really bad strikeouts, as he has just looked really, really lost at the plate at times, Stanton. And I really don't know what the hell is going on. Uh, Gardner honestly had like a perfect game. He had got on base four times, was arguably the best guy. But this was just like embarrassing. They they were 0 for 10. 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position. Left nine men on base. The guy who kept leaving runners left in scoring position was DJ LeMayhew. And I've always been a DJ LeMayhew guy. I was thrilled when the Yankees re-signed him. I thought he was really just a special player. Everything he brought to the Yankees, his versatility on defense, his knack for hitting and getting on base. But he has just not been that this season. He continuously grounds in the double plays. He was the best hitter with runners in scoring position in 2019 and 2020. This year with runners in scoring position, he's consistently grounding the double plays. And if it's not a double play, it's grounding that fielder's choice. He has been horrible with runners on this year. He has not come up clutch. And at this point, it's time to drop DJ LeMayhew in the lineup. I've been a huge fan of him the last two years, and I thought that Yankees made a great re-signing with re-signing him that six-year, $90 million contract. But he has not lived up to that contract at all this season, really struggled. It's time for the Yankees to drop him in the lineup and stop being so insistent on hitting him leadoff every single time. He does not deserve to be hitting leadoff the way he's played this year. It's been frustrating. I know that there's a portion of Yankees' Twitter that's very... That was felt this way about DJ for a while. I think a lot of his good stats the last two years were some luck, and some of it had to do with the juice ball. But my God, DJ LeMayhew, it's been a struggle, man. And he's a great leader in the clubhouse, an awesome, awesome hitter when he's hot, Uh, was very clutch the last two years, and just he did everything. He really did everything for this Yankees offense the last two seasons before this. Was the I consider him to be the best hitter on the team. A lot of people did. You know, the Yankees. Some people on Yankees Twitter mock that. But now he's far from the best hitter. He's behind Judge, Gio, Gallo, Rizzo, uh, Stanton. Even though Stanton has not been that good this year, uh, even. Uh, honestly, I'd say Voigt's probably a better hitter, maybe even Gary. 
The only consistent hitter that TJ's had a better year than is Labor Torres. It's been awful. And people want to boost Stanton. It's time to start booing TJ LeMahieu. Uh, but let's see. Hopefully they close out and salvage a series against the Orioles because, come on, we just got these toys and we lose to the fucking Orioles. The Baltimore Orioles, who are now just 6-5 and five against this year. I mean, this is a, that's embarrassing. Embarrassing. Like... You know, Short Porch, Gallo's there, Rizzo's there, and they both just, they don't think up the joint. Everyone sinks up the joint because this continues to be an issue. Just hit for runners in scoring position, goddammit. Why is it so hard? <sighs> Anyways, oh, the Yankees, although that was a tough loss, they've been relatively hot. I'm not going to say who is in the hot and who is in the not category. not going to put them in who is hot and who is not. Uh... But starting off with who is hot, the Milwaukee Brewers, who they were 10 and 4 since the All-Star break. They added a few bats in Rowdy Tellez, who is, you know, just an alright player, and Eduardo Escobar, who's a versatile defender and has been hitting the lights out of the ball this season for the Diamondbacks. To add to, add to that lineup that's underwhelmed this season, especially Christian Yelich. Now you have the big three of Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, and Brandon Woodruff, which has been as good as any big three in baseball this year, including a three of Scherzer, Kershaw, and Walker, Walker Bueller. They added to that bullpen, which already had Josh Hader, arguably the best closer in baseball this season. Uh, just, they just looked really good since the break. Like I said, 10-4, and 8-2 uh, in the last 10. And now they have games. a lot of games coming up against the Pirates, the Cubs who just sold, uh, the Cardinals, who are just doing okay, this team has potentially going a huge run to end the, the end of the year, and honestly, even win a hundred games. They're coming for that number one seed. The Milwaukee Brewers are. They're not the only team, though, that's in the fight for the number one seed. The San Francisco Giants, who are the second team on who is hot and who is not, are also. Uh, they lost two of three to begin the break, uh, which was not really great. But they've gone eight and five since then. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, they lost two out of three to begin the break and are eight and five since then. And it's weird because there's a one and two series against the Pirates in there, but then there's a series against the Dodgers, two and one, three and one, and two and one against the Astros. So yeah, the eight and five, it's not extremely hot, but I have to put the Giants in the hot category because when they play those teams, the the Dodgers and the Astros, who are not just in the fight for, uh, they're not just in the fight for the Dodgers for the first place in the division. They're fighting the Dodgers for first place in the National League. Uh, they're fighting for they're fighting against the Astros for first place in all of baseball, and they managed to go eight and two, or excuse me, seven and three in games in ten games against those. A very very good stretch of the San Francisco Giants team, who now just adds Chris Bryant, another former cover to that lineup, which is really going to bolster it, especially knowing Chris Bryant could play anywhere. Obviously, with Evan Longoria out, he can fill in at third base. When Longoria is back, he can fill in on the outfield, which has been a huge surplus of rotation of guys, uh, you know, form corner outfield spots, or he takes over at center with Mike Yastrzemski. Bryant, Yastrzemski, and Talkman is a pretty damn good defensive outfield if Talkman ever comes back for the Giants, of course. Uh, you know, Alex Wood has been sort of the same pitcher he was before and after the All-Star break. Duscafani and Gaussman, they've struggled a tiny bit since the break, but Johnny Cueto has more than picked up the slack for them with a 2-3-7 ERA in his last three starts. And the last team in the hot category is a team who's at 11-6 since the break, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, they actually did lose yesterday, but 
They had a huge sweep of the Boston Red Sox to take over first place in the American League East before that loss, and they maintained their first place lead. And they won uh, before that. They had a quick four-game winning streak. Uh, obviously, they lost two of the Yankees prior to that. But one of the, they beat the Yankees 14-0, then swept the Red Sox, uh, and even started off 5-0 and coming out of the All-Star break. So this Rays team has been pretty good coming out of the All-Star break. They're in first place in the American League, despite losing Glasnow for this for the rest of the year officially and for a good chunk of next season due to him electing to get Tommy John surgery. Leading off the category is who of who is not the Washington Nationals. I mean, why do you think they sold? And look, they they started the All-Star break off decent. They won their first two games, but since then they're just 4 and 8 and they have, they have, and they including no no they're four and twelve. Uh, no 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 so it is it is four and eight actually. They say they started the second half they they had the two wins they had five straight losses four of them coming to the Marlins and Orioles two of the worst teams in baseball, and you know you take out those two wins then they're four and eight. Uh, sadly for them they lost Strasburg for the year. Uh, and that was just announced. And then without Strasburg, the team struggling, the Nationals decide just to sell off everybody, selling off their best pitcher in Max Scherzer, selling off multiple relievers in Brad Hand and Daniel Hudson, uh, selling off, you know, pretend, selling off versatile defender Josh Harrison, selling off Trey Turner, selling off Kyle Schwarber, leaving really Juan Soto as the only guy there. Yeah, Strasburg will be back hopefully by next year, but with the injuries the last two years, is Strasburg going to get back to form? That's always been the case with him. Uh, the Minnesota Twins are the next team in the not hot category. They're 4-12 and since the All-Star break and have really, really struggled overall. You see, when I said 4-12 and with the Nationals, I meant 4-12 and with the Twins. I was looking ahead at my notes. Uh, Goner Nelson Cruz, who was traded before the deadline, and Jose Barrios, the last major trade of the deadline, who's looked fantastic for Toronto in his first start for them on Sunday. Uh, they had two, you know, they had two division titles in a row before this season, uh, including 2019, where they won 100 plus games. But this season has just been a lost one, and the Twins are going to continue continue to struggle. Although they did hold on to Byron Buxton. And the last team featured in the not hot category, I gotta say the Boston Red Sox have struggled a little bit, losing five of their last six games. And yeah, that was right after they took care of three or four from the Yankees. So after you know, it was nice the Yankees swept the Marlins and the Red Sox started to go through at least a tiny, tiny bit of the struggle. Uh, two losses to the Blue Jays and getting swept by the Rays have just meant the Red Sox have entered a little bit of a slump. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're extremely not hot, but for this team, they, it seems like they haven't lost like a five out of six stretch all season long. And now they went from being in first place in the American League East for a good a good stretch of time. They're now falling the second American League East, but they obviously should bounce back. Although at this point, the pitching has to be a concern for this team because it has been all year, and you wonder if this pitching outside of Chris Sale when he comes back will be able to carry this team. In October, because uh, the that's uh, their their roster recipe does not tend to be a recipe for success always. Uh, so I'm gonna start now. That's really it for the MLB. 
Uh, yeah, I did. Who is hot? Who is not? Now, the, the, good, the good news is I can talk NBA free agency. I think I said I was going to do that on a different episode. But it allows me to talk NBA free agency on this episode. And I'm allowed to also uh, have Gary Sanchez or Surgeon Spanwagon on, hopefully, for a separate episode and do just an interview on its own. Uh, so first of all, I'm going to say congratulations to Steph Curry. Uh, four years, $215 million extension. That boy is making some bank, some good, good money, Steph Curry. Uh you know, other teams, the Lakers, we already know they added Russell Westbrook. And you're trying to think, okay, that's a lot of uh, crowdedness, especially with AD's adamancy about playing the four. Added Dwight Howard, who might, might clog if he's on the court playing the five at times like he did in 2019, in 2020. Uh, that could really clog the floor, Dwight, AD, LeBron, and Russ. Uh, but outside of that, they did want to add some good shooting, especially 3 and D wings in Trevor Ariza, Kemp Bazemore, and Wayne Ellington. They've been trying to get like Trevor Ariza for a while. LeBron wanted to play with him because he's been in a pretty optimal 3 and D guy the last couple seasons, really since the Rockets utilized him right. Uh, Bazemore's been a fantastic 3 and D guy. was one reason why the Warriors had a top-tier defense last season. And Wayne Ellington's not a great defender, but he's going to add good shooting to this team. Uh, the Clippers, uh, a lot of people think, as my friend Steve said this, and I sort of agree that Kent Bazemore for the Lakers could be what Nick Batum was for the Clippers. You know, a key role, you know, getting up with some of the defenders' best faces, sometimes being a, having a game where he'll score 20 points for them. And also, you know, Batum led the team in minutes. Uh, Kawhi, he, so he opted out of the contract officially. But all reports indicate Kawhi Leonard's going to return to, to L.A., just a matter of what the contract details are going to be. So my dream of Kawhi, man, is just not going to happen. Uh, SGA signs a massive deal with the Thunder. So after the Thunder apparently offered pick six and SGA to the Pistons for the first overall pick, where they presumably would have taken Cade Cunningham and made Cade Cunningham the centerpiece of that franchise. But this re-signing of Sean Gilgis, Shai Gilgis Alexander signifies the Thunder, Thunder to ready. The Thunder are ready to make him the centerpiece of their franchise and build their franchise around him. The Jazz, after finishing last year the best record, uh, only losing the second round, bring back Mike Connolly, who was a key piece of that elite team last year, and they got even better, adding Rudy Gay, who. He's not necessarily the defender that they might like him to be, but he adds scoring, and it should be just another ability to shoot off the bench. And a guy who, with Rudy Gorbera, can also really help stretch the floor by playing the four position if, if need be. Uh, the Mavericks seem like they made some Knicks moves. I mean, they've had, they already have Porzingis, but they signed Tim Hardaway Jr. to a deal that's, I think, four years, $72 million or $74 million. It's... Pretty much what his contract was with the Knicks last time, and that contract came back to butt the Knicks in the butt. Uh, they take Reggie Bullock from the Knicks as well, who, you know, it's sad to see him go because, you know, he had a good year for us last year, but got replaced by a better player. Uh, and they also want to add as much shooting around Luka as possible, which makes a lot of sense. Have him run isolations and drive to the hoop because he's so good at doing that. Uh, and just have, you know, when he's drawing double teams, kick it out to someone beyond the arc. 
The Pelicans, they get Devontae Graham for, you know, nothing in a sign-and-trade. Blake Griffin back with the Nets. Celtics reportedly want Isaiah Thomas. Uh, and then Lonzo Ball goes to the Bulls. And this is a Lonzo Ball goes to the Bulls. I said Lonzo Ball goes to the Bulls. Lonzo Ball gets to the Bulls. Lonzo Ball is out in the Bulls. And he believes that the Bulls finally believe that he's the guy who can become their franchise point guard. Uh, so now that's the, an interesting big three of Lonzo Ball, Vucevic, and uh, Zach Levine. Obviously, Levine was was an all. Levine and Vucevic were both all stars last year. The Bulls traded for Vucevic, and it never really worked out between the two. That sort of happens though. Maybe getting a new star mid season. Lots of guys are in and out of the lineup. But now you add Lonzo Ball, who's a plus defender, and it should make this defense slightly better than what it was last year. A guy who can really help set the offense, distribute for Levine and uh, Vucevic, especially you know Levine can shoot the three, he can dunk. If you know Levine's ever cutting in the lane and Lonzo's open for three, it's a good shot. We don't really know what's going to happen with Laurie Market, although if he's back, him at the four, and I think Patrick Williams at the three, uh, could be an interesting lineup. The thing is, there'd be no depth behind Thaddeus Young and their new signing, the Caruso. Uh, the Cavs give Jared Allen $100 million, and I'm not sure if I like that, especially with the drafting of Evan Mobley. Uh, they were committing, I guess, a front court of Mobley at the four and uh, him at the five for some time now. Bobby Portis, he re-signs with the Milwaukee Bucks for a very, very cheap contract. He was a huge, huge part of that championship roster, just two years, $9 million. Uh, was a key player off the bench, key defender, and also just brought a lot of energy to that team. Trey Young, he re-signed with Atlanta, five years, $207 million. And one of the other best moves of the offseason was the Miami Heat getting Kyle Lowry, arguably at this point behind the Lakers maybe getting Russ. And you can even argue that this is better, the best move of the offseason. Kyle Lowry's an elite point guard, seasoned veteran, has won an NBA championship, and now he's being added to Miami Heat team, which was missing a legitimate true point guard. Goran Dragic was a fine scorer, but he didn't really have that true point guard feel to him. Uh, obviously, Miami, they weren't as good last season as they were two seasons ago. But big part of that could have been having fatigue from only playing, from only having two months off. But now this is a team. They also just re-signed Jimmy Butler. They bring in P.J. Tucker, who is a defender, one of the best defenders on a championship team just this past season. They're sort of replicating that recipe that got them to the finals in that 2020 bubble. Uh, they re-signed Duncan Robinson to a huge deal. You know, this Miami Heat team, they're going to make some noise next season. They really are. This is the, this are very similar to the team that made that finals run, and it's an even better roster now. Now with Kyle Lowry at point guard. Now with P.J. Tucker being an elite defender off the bench. I mean, a lineup of Lowry, Butler, uh, Tucker, Bam, Duncan Robinson. That sounds scary and very, very hard to deal with defensively. Uh, I'm excited to see the Miami Heat team who's going to look like in this upcoming season. Uh, and then that's it for these other teams. Now it's time to talk about the Knicks offseason and the moves the Knicks have made. So the recap, the Knicks moves quickly. They signed Derrick Rose for three-year, $43 million. It's not a horrible value for him. Uh, 
you know, I personally think that uh, he could have maybe gotten a little less than that, but it's not bad. He was a key player for this team last year. Maybe thought he could have gotten 12 million a year instead of 14, but I'm not going to complain. We get Evan Fournier for four years, 78 million. And I'm not sure how I feel about this Evan Fournier signing. I think that's a lot of money to give a guy who is, you know, he's a good shooter, he's a good scorer, but he's not really a great defender. You saw the way he struggled down the stretch of the season last year with the Boston Celtics. And yeah, he maybe becomes the Knicks number two or number three guy, and the scoring numbers are going to look good. But I really just didn't like this sign. I thought this was a lot of money to throw at a guy. You know, this offseason was so hyped up with, oh, the Knicks are going to make a big move, the Knicks are going to make a big move. And now the biggest splash they make was signing Evan Fournier. This sort of has the feels of uh, the Tim Hardaway signing from a few seasons ago. Uh, and to a less extremity, the Joakim Noah signing. Uh, I don't think he's going to be obviously as bad as Joakim Noah was because that's, that's tough to beat. But I really don't love this Fournier signing. And now it really limits the ability of what the Knicks can do in the future having his contract for the next four years. Although the fourth year is a team option. Uh, I'm fine with the Alec Burks deal, to be honest. Three years, $30 million. I think maybe I would have gotten a slightly lower, tried one or $2 million less. And I really don't like giving Nerland Noel three years, $32 million. Uh, That's a lot of money signed on the role players. This team had over $50 million in cap space coming into the offseason. And instead now about, let's see, there's 20, about, let's see, 34. Yeah, about 50 of it has been spent on role players uh, just to make this team a little bit better. Uh, I mean, look, it's, you know, it's, you know the star, dreaming, dreaming of a star this offseason was a little uh, out of the realm for the Knicks. They were never going to get Kawhi Leonard in free agency or Chris Paul. You know, Kyle Lowry was a possibly realistic option. Uh, Damian Lillard, you know, that trade looks more and more like a pipe dream by the day. But I just I didn't love the contracts that the Knicks handed out that much. These are sometimes when they have the set the mentality, oh, we're gonna make a big signing in the offseason. Uh, and they know they don't do, they do these one or two year deals. But now these are three, four year deals, which are really tying the cap space together for the next few years. And now this cap space, you know, tied up. There's a pretty load of free agency class coming up the next couple of seasons, and now we really can't dive into that pool. Are we waiting until 2024? But regardless, you know, the Knicks, I guess they slightly improved. Fournier is a better player than Reggie Bullock was, but they, that's not enough to be better than the Bucks, the Sixers, the Nets, who all finished ahead of them. That's not enough to be better than the Hawks who beat them in the first round. The Miami Heat got significantly better in the offseason, so that's already putting the Knicks a little bit behind as potentially you know, being maybe just the sixth-best team in the East. The Celtics, I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were this past season. Uh, they got Al Horford, who fits their roster more than Kemba Walker would. They still have some holes on that roster, but, you know, Right now, the Knicks look at best to be the sixth best team in the East, and this is supposed to be a huge offseason for them. They didn't get worse, but they didn't get better as better as some of the teams behind them got, or even better to at least sort of compete with those top three teams. And this team was never going to be a championship team this year, regardless. But the team was never going to be a championship team this year, regardless. 
And some of the role players, again, it's fine bringing them back. The Knicks have done these one-year deals with players in the past. Uh, and that's most of these guys this year were on one-year deals. But now they're locking these guys up in the big contracts. And we've seen teams make this mistake before where they have a surprise good year out of nowhere. And then they start to re-sign a lot of their role players for a lot of money. The Heat did it a few years ago. The Wizards did it a few years ago. The Hornets did it a few years ago. Now, the Knicks didn't commit as much money to their players as some of these teams might have. But regardless, it just starts to leave the Knicks in cap space hell. And I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully, Leon Rose obviously proved to be very successful in his first year. But the moves he made definitely had me nervous and very, very disappointed with this offseason. Early offseason, I should say. I guess it's only been two days. Uh, We'll see, though, because no doubt Tibbs... He's going to have this team ready to fight for next season. Uh, and again, I'm really curious what uh, what's going to happen with Mitchell Robinson because are we giving Noel this money to be a backup? Is Mitchell Robinson hurt? Are we maybe going to try to trade Mitchell Robinson? Who knows? Anyways, that's my episode. I want to thank everybody who supported the podcast thus far. Remember, go check out the Bird's Eye View podcast on Instagram for all my latest episode releases. Go follow Jay Bird's Eye View on Twitter for all my latest live game updates. Thank you, everybody, and have a great rest of your day.